0: Father, we, we, we come together today calling upon Your name, calling upon Your life. Thank You for shedding Your own blood. Thank You for making us whole. Thank You for perfecting us from the sin and death that's in this earth, Lord. Holy Spirit, Minister the Father's life to everybody in this place, to everybody watching online, to everybody that uh, will watch in the future, Lord. Minister to them a life that is whole, a life that is perfect, a life that can't be destroyed, that can't be stolen from, that can't be killed, Father. Holy Spirit, minister that inside of people to where they could see the Father's in them, and they're in the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I say this a lot, but it helps to give a good foundation for people to understand themselves. But the, the deepest cry of the human heart, we say, is to be loved. Right? And we get that from, from God. And it's not that that's an inaccurate statement, but there's something that convinces you you're loved. Right? And so the deepest cry of the human heart is to actually have life. And not just any kind of a life. The deepest cry of the human heart is to have a life that's perfect. There's no lack. How many of you like it when you feel lack? How many of you like it when you feel stressed out or anxious? How many of you like it when you see things that aren't right? Why does it bother you? Does somebody had to teach you that it should bother you? Or did it just bother you? Right? And so you want to understand that about yourself, right? Because you begin to understand and be able to discern the voices that you hear, right? And I don't mean like just in your head, but like the voice of the stranger that the scriptures talk about. You'll be able to start discerning the voice of the serpent and what his voice sounds like and the foundation from where he comes from. And you'll begin to understand how the gospel shuts the mouth of the serpent, how it rebukes the devourer, right? The way the gospel rebukes the devourer, the devourer is talking about the serpent devouring you with his death. Right? and the way the serpent tries to torment you is he comes to try to point at your life and point out all the things that aren't exactly right. He tries to come and point out all the spots and blemishes on your life. He comes to try to point out all the things that are crooked in your life. All the things that aren't perfect, all the things that aren't right, all the things that have been stolen from you, we have things like PTSD. Do you know why you have PTSD? Do you know why that kind of a sting even stays? Because you see something so contrary to life, you've experienced something that you consider to be so antithetical to life that it scars you, and you become triggered by it. And the way the gospel would combat that is the gospel comes to give you the life of God himself. And his life is perfect. His life is whole. His life lacks nothing. Right? And that's the way he starts rebuking the voice of the stranger. Right? He comes and gives you a life that can't be stolen from, a life that doesn't lack. Right? So every time you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, which is this world and you see things around you that are a sign of death, or you see things around you that are trying to tell you you lack something, that you don't have the life that you need, and really what it's trying to compel you to do is to take yourself down off the cross. If you are the son, come down off the cross, clothe yourself. What the gospel comes and does is it comes and shows you the presence of the Father with you. It lifts the Father up in your sight, and you begin to see his life shining over you. You begin to be dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the shadow of the Almighty. It's not just some theoretical language. It's not some fanciful comic language. It's talking about the shadow that exudes from the life the Father has in himself. And when you see that life is in you, and you're in that life, and that life becomes lifted up in your sight, do you know what it will start telling you? What does the psalmist say at the beginning of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack everything. I lack nothing. I'll tell you what, things weren't going good for that guy. He says he's walking in the valley of the shadow of death. And you want to know what was going on for the guy that says he lacks nothing? Go and read Psalm 22. He's talking about his joints being pulled out, his bones being stretched to the degree that his shoulders and his arms are being yanked out of joint. He says, the bulls of Bashan, the mighty men of this earth have compassed me about and they're gaping upon me, they're mocking me, they're disjoining my body. It's describing Jesus on the cross. And do you know what that guy says in that place? I lack nothing. You know why he says he lacks nothing? Because he was dwelling in the shadow of the almighty. He saw that the life that's in the father even shadows the darkness of this death. And then that started ministering to him. I lack nothing. The father is in me and I'm in the father, right? I've been made whole. So we're just going to keep laying the foundation um, for healing and people will have all sorts of, of healings that will occur, whether in your soul, whether in your body, whether in your mind, we'll have all sorts of healings. Um, and the reason we're going to keep laying the foundation for healing is because I, I think that we, we, we've tried to, uh, we've kind of gotten fixated on the healing itself instead of the power behind the healing, because there's something that produces the healing, and that's what we want to be intimate with, that which produces the healing. But we're trying to have a healing by being intimate with the healing and we've lost sight of that which heals or the power behind the healing. So that's why we're going to keep methodically um, looking at it. What we want to happen is when we think of healing, we want to be thinking of the power behind it, right? And the power behind it that we want to be thinking about is the life that the Father has given us in Jesus. God has already given you that which heals. And what he's given to you that heals is his life. And he's given you that his life in Jesus. Right? So we want to think of the life the Father has given us in Jesus and how this life that he's given us, his life, is whole. It is perfect. His life has no spots and blemishes his life can't die we just talked about it he demonstrated that his life can't die didn't he didn't his life take a death wound and what does the scripture say it wasn't possible for it to hold him so we want to be thinking about this life that, that he has that he's given us how it can't die it can't be stolen from by sickness or sin and death it can't be defiled by the spots and blemishes in this world because when your mind can begin thinking of the life that's in the father and what that life is and now he's given you that life what it will do is it will cast down sickness in your midst right the sickness that tries to get exalted in your sight the weakness the infirmity that tries to get lifted up in your sight like it's a giant the life that's in the father that he had come and give you in the person of Jesus it will cast that sickness down it will send it away from you you'll start thinking what sickness What weakness? Because your mind will be filled with the life that can't die. And really, that's why sickness bothers us, doesn't it? I think we all say, I think most people say that they're not afraid to die. I think a lot of Christians say, I'm not afraid to die. And when they say they're not afraid to die, they think of being in, you know, going into the grave. Or going to heaven is really what they think. I'm not afraid to die, I'll go to heaven. But you know what I find most believers are afraid of? To find themselves in the place where they don't think they have what they need to live. (laughs) Which really demonstrates that they are afraid to die. Right? And that's not a mark of shame. But what it demonstrates is, is we haven't really been intimate with the life that's in the Father. We haven't actually had our hearts persuaded of what kind of a life it is and what it means that he's given us his life. We haven't really thought about that. So we're going to keep looking at those kinds of things so we can understand it. And I, I, I just want to, to say to everybody, you know, you are the body of Christ. And that's not just like a cliche. I, I think that we, we've gotten to this place where these things are cliches. They become tradition where we've heard it, we say it, it's true. But then we have like no root in ourselves about what it even means. When I say you're the body of Christ, that has a deep, powerful significance that you want to be connecting with. And if you haven't connected with it and you've heard it your whole life, man, today walk out of here and ask God, what does it mean that I'm your body, that I'm part of your body? Because it isn't just talking about like a group or an organization called the church. I mean, Jesus has a physical body. What does it mean that I'm one flesh with him in his body? So you are the body of Christ. And what it means is your life is hid in him. Your life is hid in him. And the life you see in him now, that life is hid in you. I said the life you see in Jesus now, it's hid in you now. Paul come and said we have this treasure. What treasure do we have? The life we see in Jesus' body right now. We have that treasure inside of this earthen vessel. We have that now. How many of you think a sickness can take life from Jesus? How many of you think a sickness can corrupt Jesus' life? Can any sickness steal from Jesus? Can any death steal from Jesus? What about any corruption? Can it steal from Jesus? Well, when when the gospel comes and declares a believer to be part of the body of Christ, that's one of the most powerful things it's trying to tell you. It's trying to tell you something about the life that you're intertwined with, that you're braided together with, so you can begin walking in this world believing, having been persuaded, that you are whole. Your life is whole. Your life is perfect. That's the hardest thing for people to believe. Probably everybody in here could run down a list of things that they say about their life that isn't perfect. Those that are married, we can run down a list of things not only about our life, but our spouse's life also. <laughs> you see, the even reason why you can even find things that you think aren't perfect is because you're longing for a perfect life. If you weren't longing for a perfect life, you would never find any imperfection. And so God comes to deliver you from perfectionism and the anxiety that comes from perfectionism by serving you with his life, the life that manifested in the body of Christ and by making you one flesh with the body of Christ. There's power in knowing you have his life. There's power in knowing that you are part of his body, that through his body, you are one flesh with God and his incorruptible life. There's power in your thoughts being caught up into that. There's power in knowing that you've been set apart from sickness. You've already been set apart from sickness. Your life has already been set apart from sickness inside of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life has already overcome any sickness that can come against you inside of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if whether the sickness can try to take you into the grave or not. Inside of the body of Jesus is a life that even overcomes the grave. So your life has already been sanctified from sickness. It's already been sanctified from death. And I promise you, when you encounter sickness in the world, you know what it's trying to tell you? That your life is being overcome. That your life is going to die. That it is being stolen from. What are you going to do now? But that contradicts everything that the Lord Jesus declares about your life. There's power in knowing you've been set apart from sin and death inside the body of Jesus. There's power in knowing that it's not possible for sickness to hold you. Was it possible for death to hold Jesus? Well, whose life is inside of you? Whose body are you part of? Right? So is it possible for sickness to hold you? There's power in knowing sickness can't hold you. There's power in knowing that it's not possible for sickness to steal from you. It's not possible for a sickness to destroy your destiny. Was the Lord Jesus Christ's destiny stolen by the death of the cross? What about his calling? What about his purpose? You know, the scripture talks about the high calling of God. We get so focused on our earthly calling. What does God want me to do? Where does God have for me? And I'm not saying you won't do anything. And I'm not saying you won't feel a passion to do something. I'm doing something right now. And there's a burning in my bones to tell people about the gospel. But that's not my calling. The scripture talks about a high calling. You know what the high calling of God is? That you would partake with Him in His life that is whole, that is indestructible by believing on the Lord Jesus. That you would be made one body with God in His incorruptible life inside of the body of the Lord Jesus. That's the high calling. It's the high calling. Do you know why it's called high? Well, where's Jesus seated? I mean, Paul comes and said he blesses with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's calling you up. Even, Even the church, the ecclesia, it means the called out ones. Those who are called out from beholding their life in the world beholding their life in dust, beholding a perishable life and thinking that's their life. They've been called out from that and they're beholding their life in the Lord Jesus Christ, seated in heavenly places far above death, far above death because it wasn't possible for death to hold him. And now we've been called out to the place where we're beholding our life in him. We're esteeming that our life is intertwined with the life that's in him right now. It's not possible for a sickness to destroy your destiny. That's what the world says. God doesn't say that. It's not possible for a sickness to destroy your destiny because your life has come from above. And guess what that means? It's already overcome the world. It's already overcome the world. And so what's happened is, is our understanding of healing has been built on wood, hay, and stubble. What we've done is we've looked at, and I don't mean every one of you individually, I'm talking in general terms, about the church. We've looked at healing the way the old man looks at healing, right? The old man is a man that has a perishable life. He's the man that thinks, I don't have life, but if I can get a healing, then I will have life, right? We've looked at healing according to the old man, and we've built our understanding of the gifts of healing on the foundation of a perishable life instead of the foundation of Christ and Him crucified. And that's corrupted the whole thing. Right? We built our understanding of healing on the wisdom of the world. And what that's done is it's actually left people sickly in the world. It's left Christians more sickly than they were before they were taught about healing. <laughs> it's left them real sickly because what it's done is it's set their affection on the life that's in the world or of the world as if that's their life right like we all when we think about our life we all have different things that we think about to describe our life and if you were just honest with yourself and you ran down the list of all the things you use to describe your life almost all of them would come from the world there's nothing wrong with observing things about the life you have in the world but what can become uh, destructive in your spirit soul and body is if you intertwine yourself with those things as if that is your life. Instead of seeing that you've been braided together with Jesus and the life that he has in himself. right? That's when it can be twisted and turned in, into a destructive thing. right? And, and because we've taught healing from that perspective, you know what we've actually done? Even in the church, we've actually exalted the power of sickness in people's eyes we've actually taught people that sickness can steal from them. I just want to say what that means. That would mean that Jesus didn't overcome the grave. Either He overcame the grave or He didn't. And I promise you, if a sickness can steal from me, then He didn't overcome anything. Because the whole point of Him coming and taking death into himself and then coming out of the grave was so that he could offer me a life that could never be stolen from, killed or destroyed ever again. So that he could offer me a life that the thief could never come and take anything from. So I could live in this world seeing that him who stole can steal no more. And I promise you, when you're no longer living in fear of your life being stolen from, you begin walking on water. You begin sleeping in the boat when the hurricane is going. And you'll be so at rest even in the midst of the storm that the people will wake you up and say, don't you care, Lord? But we've exalted the power of sickness and sin in people's eyes. And we've made faith and healing a heavy, heavy yoke on people. It's fi- the way we've taught it, it's filled people with the fear of death. It's taught people to seek a healing from the fear of death from the fear of sin, from the the fear of sin and sin's ability to steal life from them. That's how we've taught healing instead of teaching healing from an incorruptible life. And so we have many Christians today living in fear of sickness and the power of sickness to take life from them as if it's greater than God's ability to produce life in them. Listen, man, we've seen the two powers put next to each other in the body of the Lord Jesus. And we saw sin and sin's ability to serve with sickness and to serve with death and to take. We see that in the cross. But then we see God's ability to produce life in the resurrected Jesus. Which one was greater? Which one was greater? Greater. So we got a whole group of Christians that have been taught things about healing that has left them living in fear of sickness, right? I don't know if you guys remember this. There was a guy named Jesus. He said, those who believe on me shall never die. How does that fit with our thinking? These aren't just like nice sayings. It's not just like, oh, the scriptures are wonderful. I mean, what does that mean? Those who believe on me shall never die. And how does that fit with how I'm living in the earth? Right? Am I living in the earth as if I shall never die? Or am I living in the earth as if all these things can kill me? And if that's where you're at, there's no shame in that. But you ought to sit and start having a conversation with God about that. Right? Because the liberty he came to give you isn't liberty from his anger. It's liberty from the fear of death. The fear of all the different things in the world that could kill you or take life from you. And he delivers you by giving you a life that can't die. Paul says it like like this in Colossians chapter 3 when he talks about setting your affection above. He says you're already dead. You guys remember Paul saying, I was crucified with Christ? Do you see what he's saying? Do you know what Paul's saying? you, You want to know why Paul did what he did? You know in the early church it says that they ran towards death. The early church fathers wrote about the apostles and said they winked at death. They ran towards it. Do you see what Paul's saying when he says you're already dead? When he says he was crucified with Christ? He's saying the worst thing the world could do to you, the worst thing sin could do to you, the greatest thing it could do to stand opposed to your life, it already did it to you inside of the body of Jesus. You died unto sin once. Paul comes and says, that's what it's talking about. The wages of sin is death. And the death that sin can serve you with. The death that sickness can serve you with. It already served it to you in the body of Jesus on the cross. And Paul would come and say, you've already overcome the worst that sin and sickness could ever do to you inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection. And that resurrection has now left you in the place where you can never die in the sin again. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, never to be able to die again, Paul says. But then we teach healing from the foundation of the sickness can kill you. The sickness can keep you from your destiny. The sickness can keep you from life. That's a vain imagination that exalts itself against what God declared in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? You guys following? Me? We've probably got two more healing messages, and at the end of the last one, we'll do communion. Spiritually speaking, this is communion. But we'll take physical communion at the end of the last message. Um, uh, We're going to look in John chapter 12 to keep laying the foundation of healing. And for some of you that haven't been taught these things about healing, you'll still get something good as we go through the Scriptures and just see what the Scriptures say. Um, But there's a lot of people that are being tormented by a carnal interpretation of healing. John chapter 12, verse 36 is where we'll pick it up. And this is uh, Jesus talking. And he says, while you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spoke Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Does, does that mean they didn't believe that he did miracles? I't oh, no. They believed he did miracles, but they didn't believe on what the miracles were saying. So they didn't believe on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again that he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory, when Isaiah saw the glory of the lord and spoke of him right so jesus talks about performing miracles there right and isaiah says who has believed the report so you know what that means is the miracles were trying to give a report they were given a, a report about something the miracles jesus performed were issuing a report well we don't want to be like these guys who seen didn't see and hearing didn't hear if these miracles are giving a report then we ought to pay more careful diligence and heed to what is the report that these miracles are giving because jesus makes a point to say these guys didn't hear the report even though they saw the miracles and so listen the report that those miracles were given this might upset you the report isn't that jesus can perform miracles Because every one of those people there saw the miracles Jesus performed and believed he could perform miracles. That's not the report they they were giving. Yes, guess what? There's power in Jesus to bring forth miracles. But that's not the report that those miracles are giving. The report those miracles are giving is the gospel. And even that word gospel has gotten so convoluted in our eyes, we probably all have a different kind of understanding of what the gospel even means. The report is the gospel. The gospel is, it's the report of the father and the life the father has in himself. That's the report that the miracles were trying to give. They were trying to give a testimony about the father and the kind of life the father has in himself. That's what they were testifying of. If you keep reading in John chapter 12 and you get to the bottom, Jesus says he didn't come to speak of himself. He said, but the father has given him a commandment that he would come and speak of the father. And he said that not only would he come and speak of the father, but the commandment the father gave him was to come and declare everlasting life. That's what the miracles were testing of, testifying of. They were giving a report of something called everlasting life. They were giving a report of the father and the life that's in the father. So, John records who has believed the report. Who has believed, or to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Right? I had this guy that worked for me that was all into working out when I lived in Colorado, and he'd always come in and show me his guns. And they would always walk around, and I never knew for the longest time what they were talking about, but he would always be like, Take me to the gun show, baby. And he'd be all flexing out. And I'm like, what is he talking about? I was like, is he talking about guns and roses? I, I, I was like one generation removed, but he was talking about the strength in his biceps. Look at my guns. Right? And so to whom have the guns of the Lord been revealed? The, the report the miracles were giving, they're trying to take us to the gun show. And the gun show they're trying to take us to is the strength that's in God's arm, the strength that's in God's bicep, the strength that's in the life that's in God. So John comes and says, to whom is, is the arm of the Lord revealed? And so what is the arm of the Lord? Now, Jesus is the arm of the Lord inside of human flesh. But when we look at what does that mean, the arm of the Lord is his indestructible life. That's the arm of the Lord. The life that can even raise the dead up never to be able to taste death again. That's the arm of the Lord. It's the resurrection life that manifested in Jesus. That is Jesus himself. He is the resurrection and the life. He is a life that is so strong that it can even raise somebody up from the dead and put them in a place where they could never die again. That's the arm of the Lord. John quotes Isaiah And using this language, this is what he says. Who has believed on the Father? Who has heard the report of the Father and his life? Who has seen the strength of the Father's life in Jesus? Who is it that has called upon the name of the Lord? seeing that he has drawn near to us to remove the reign of death from over our lives? Who has seen that within God is the gift of a life that can even lord it over sin and death in the flesh? Who has heard that God has come to give us a life that is whole, that is perfect, that has no spots and blemishes in it, that lacks nothing, that is so much that it can even perfect our bodies from death? Who is it that has heard that? Who is it that has seen that in Jesus? Who is it that has heard the arm of the Lord or seen it and believed on it? That's what he's saying. Who saw that in Jesus? So John says the people saw the miracles. They believed Jesus could perform miracles. That's why they came to him. But they didn't see what the miracles were declaring. So they weren't coming to him for his life. And what the scripture would say is seeing they didn't see, hearing they didn't hear. They saw something. They heard something. But they didn't see and hear what it was about. You follow what I'm saying? Staying in the same gospel. You can find all these things lining up in John's gospel. Staying in the same gospel. John chapter 6, verse 26. This is Jesus talking to them. He had just performed the fishes and the loaves. The multiplying the fishes and the loaves from nothing. That's pretty magnificent, isn't it? I mean, that'll make you scratch your head. That'll make you think, what is this about? And so Jesus says, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say unto you, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. (laughs) Labor not for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, him for him hath the Father sealed. What does it mean, for him hath the Father sealed? Well, Jesus says in another place in John, the Father has life in himself. And he has given that I would have that same life in myself. And here I am to show you what kind of life that is so that you would call upon the name of the Father and you could be made whole by receiving his life that is whole, that is perfect, that can't be stolen from. Right? Now listen to how those verses read in the New Living Translation takes a look into some of the Greek and kind of brings it out. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. (laughs) There's a whole lot of people that want to be with Jesus so they can be healed, but not because they know what the healing means. (laughs) But so he says, but don't be so concerned with perishable things like food. Hey, that's a difficult thing for us, huh? Have you ever tried not to be so concerned whether you're going to eat or not? Don't be so concerned. I can just see the people. What is this guy talking about? Are we supposed to go on a fast? What is he saying? But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the son of man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now like I said Jesus if you go back and read in, in chapter 6 Jesus just multiplied all the fishes and the loaves. I think it's two fishes and five loaves or five fish no two fishes and five loaves that he took and he fed 5000 people with right in front of their faces. Right. So that's what he's talking about there. And listen, those people that were coming to Jesus now where he says you're coming to me because you're hungry again. And you want me to feed you. Listen, those dudes weren't coming to Jesus thinking that he fed the five thousand before from a food truck. They weren't thinking that Jesus has got this sweet food truck and my man is making breakfast burritos right over here. And so we're just going to find him again because he's got a food truck that has food in it. They didn't think that Jesus had some secret stash of food. They all saw the miracle with their natural eyes. Every single one of them saw the miracle with their natural eyes. That's why they were coming to him. But there's a big sign in the fact that they were hungry again, which is going to tie into what Jesus goes on to say later in chapter 6. Because they were trying to make the miracle their bread or their food for life. And that bread or that food that the miracle was feeding them left them in the place where they were hungry again. But Jesus was trying to feed them with the life that will satisfy their hunger for life. And they would never be hungry for life ever again. And he's saying you didn't see what the miracle was actually talking about. You saw with your natural eyes, and that's why you're coming to me. But when you look at that word saw, to see something isn't just to see with your natural eyes. It's to perceive. It's to understand. It's to discern the meaning of what it is you saw with your natural eyes. That's what it's supposed to mean. That's what saw means there. So when Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves, there was a lot more to it than him simply feeding the people with bread and fish. He was declaring something to them. He goes on to say what he was declaring to them in the rest of chapter 6. And do you know what he says? He says, I was declaring myself to be the bread from heaven. That's why I multiplied the fishes and the loaves. I didn't multiply the fishes and the loaves to feed your belly. I did that and I gave it to you. And did it satisfy your hunger for life? No. Do You know how it didn't? Because here you are hungry again. And so you didn't see what the miracle was testifying of. You didn't see that in me is a life that has come down from heaven. That if you partake of the life that's in me, that's come from the father, you will never be hungry again, meaning you will never hunger for life. Do you know what that means? That you'll never find yourself in the place again where you think you don't have life no matter what comes against you. You'll never find yourself in the place where you think you're separated from life. You'll never find yourself in the place where you think that a sickness or a corruption or the death that's in the world can take your life from you ever again because in Jesus is a life that doesn't perish. That's why his body is the meat that doesn't perish. Jesus is saying the life that he came to feed you with from heaven will disesteem the shame that comes from the sickness and the death that's in the earth. That's what it will do. Do you know shame in the scriptures? It's not shame like we think of shame. The shame we've taught, been taught in our culture is like a branch or a vine or a, fru- a fruit that comes from the root. Shame in the scriptures would mean to find yourself in the place where you think you don't have life. You're ashamed. Paul talked about Uh, on the last day, not desiring for our nakedness to be uncovered, that we would be found to be full of shame. The nakedness being uncovered is talking about you finding yourself in the place where you see you don't have life. And Jesus is saying, listen man, if you feed on the life that I came to feed you, the bread that's come from heaven, if you partake of that life that's in me, that life that's come from above, you will find yourself in the place where you're never able to be filled with shame again thinking you don't have what you need for life, right? You'll never hunger for life again because the shame that the world would try to fill you with, telling you that sickness is a sign you don't have life, it will never have anything in you ever again because you'll see you have a life that can't be stolen from by sickness. Right? So they didn't discern what the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves was about. They didn't see what the miracle was pointing to. So they were coming to Jesus. Um, They weren't coming to Jesus because in him is a life that can't be killed. They weren't coming to him because in him is a life that can't be stolen from or destroyed. They came to Jesus because they were hungry. And they were like, this dude could do a miracle. Hallelujah. That's why they were coming to him. They were coming to Jesus to have the life they had from the world made whole. That's why they were coming to Jesus. They were seeking the bread that is passing away. Right? So seeing they didn't see, hearing they didn't hear what this was about. Right? And they were like the nine lepers that Jesus healed. That says they went away. And they never came back and glorified God. And do you know why they went away? Do you know why the lepers went away? Because they thought life was found in getting their leprosy healed. We already got the deal. This is where life is found. It's found in getting my leprosy healed. That's why they didn't go back to Jesus. They didn't see the life that was in Jesus. They missed the sign. They missed what the sign was all about. They went away healed from the leprosy, but they were still sick because they weren't made whole by the incorruptible life of Jesus. Right? So now, immediately after Jesus says, They didn't discern what the miracle was about. Listen to what he says. He says, labor not for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that doesn't perish. Right? They were laboring for the meat that perishes. And he says, don't labor for that meat. Labor for the meat that doesn't perish. Right? Then, in John 6, 28, it's a famous verse that we've all quoted especially in gray circles right the disciples asked jesus what are the works of god that we might work them we, we tend to pull that out of its context and not see that it was talking about the previous statement jesus just said so right after jesus says labor for the meat that doesn't perish don't labor for the meat that perishes they respond and they ask him a question well what are the works of god that we might work them they're saying how is it that we labor for the meat that doesn't perish. How is it that we can have this meat that can't perish? It's almost like the woman at the well, where Jesus says, well, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, where is that water? How can I find that water that will lead me in the place where I'm never thirsty again? And so Jesus says, you're laboring for a meat that perishes, that when you eat it, you'll be left hungry again. Yeah, I performed a miracle. Y'all saw the miracle, but you didn't see that it testified that I've come from heaven with the life from heaven that is the only thing that can feed you with the life that's whole, that can't be stolen from, that's incorruptible. That The only thing that will leave you in the place where you'll never be hungry again. And now you're seeking me for a miracle, but the miracle is the meat that perishes. So how, do, how can we labor for this meat? How can we seek the meat that will satisfy our desire for life? How can we get that which will make us never hungry again? They want to know how they can attain to that. I mean, wouldn't you? And so they ask that. And then Jesus goes on a long diatribe, and I'm going to read through them all and try and follow it. It begins with John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answers them after they ask, How do we labor for the meat that doesn't perish? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. This is how you labor for the meat that doesn't perish. You believe on him who he has sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign do you show then so that we may see and believe you? What do you work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat then Jesus said to them truly truly I say unto you Moses did not give you that bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves to declare to the people that he would come down from heaven to feed the world with life That's what he was declaring to them. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But we've taught healing from the perspective that makes people hungry and thirsty. Because we've taught people healing from the perspective of laboring for the meat that perishes. And every time you labor for the meat that perishes, every time you seek to find your hunger and your thirst satisfied in miracles, those miracles aren't that eternal life. Those miracles will leave you hungry again. And I know because I lived in a church where all we did was see signs, wonders, and miracles. And I tell you what, we were very happy when you see it. Because when you see stuff happen, it's kind of like, oh my gosh. You're like rubbing your eyes. You're like, no, we have not been drinking wine today. But you know what I noticed in that church? Every week, the people who had the mighty miracles before, every week they came back still hunched over full of sorrow because they never connected with what these miracles were declaring. And so they were always hungry again. They never were convinced that in God is a life that's whole. In God is a life that's perfect. In God is a life that can't be stolen from. And He has given me that life in Jesus Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you have also seen me, and believe not. Because if you had believed me, you wouldn't be coming to me looking for me to feed your belly. (laughs) Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Listen to what he says. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Have you ate the bread that Jesus brought from heaven? Have you believed on the life that's in the Lord Jesus that conquers death in the flesh? Then how can a sickness steal, kill, or destroy you? Jesus says, that if you eat that bread that come down from heaven, that you won't die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. You see what he's talking about? Dwelling in him, and I in them. As the Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, the life that's in me is the Father's life. So he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna in our dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. There's a meat that perishes and a meat that doesn't perish. The meat that perishes... This is the life that you can gain from miracles. That doesn't mean miracles are evil. See, that's how the carnal mind hears it, right? It's just we've made miracles eternal life. And miracles are not eternal life. Eternal life is eternal life. Miracles aren't Jesus. Miracles aren't the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And in the moment you want to make miracles the Messiah, or you want to make miracles the power to have eternal life, now you've made miracles something that they're not. The meat that doesn't perish is the life that's in the Father and in the Son. That's the meat that doesn't perish. And Jesus just says, the way you labor for that meat that doesn't perish is to seek what the miracle is about, not the miracle. You see? You can't perfect your life from sin and death through miracles. The miracle is not the provision. The life of Christ is the provision. We don't seek life through miracles. We seek the life that's in Jesus, and through that, miracles will follow us. It doesn't say that those who believe on Jesus will follow miracles. It says miracles will follow them. Right? You guys following that? You following what Jesus is saying there? Believe on the, how do you labor for the meat that doesn't perish? Believe on him. That's how you eat his body and his blood. You believe on the life that was in him. In him was life. And then his body was broken. And when his body was broken on the cross, just like a seed, when it falls into the ground and the outer shell falls away, and then the life that's inside of the outer shell comes forth and springs forth, Jesus had life in himself like that seed. And when his body was broken, do you know what came pouring out of him? His life. A life that even raises the dead that conquers death. You lay, the way you labor for the meat that doesn't perish is you believe on him. You believe that he has come from the father. You believe that he is the bread that gives the father's life, that he has come from heaven to provide himself a lamb, to offer his body on the cross, to shed his own blood so that he could put off corruption and you can be one flesh with the body of his resurrection. Believe on Jesus for the passing over of death. Death has passed over me. Sickness has passed over me. Believe that he has come from the Father, possessing in himself a life that is whole, that is perfect, that needs nothing to be added to it, that is so much that it fills all things, that it can never be stolen from. Call upon his name for life. Call upon his name for a life that lords it over sin and death in the flesh. That is how you labor for the meat that doesn't perish. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 70 of his disciples. You guys know the account? He sends out 70 of his disciples to heal the sick. And says to declare to the people the kingdom of God has come near you. Declare to the people the kingdom of God has come near you. As you're healing them. We get it backwards in the Greek. What it is is you come and declare the kingdom of God and that will heal people. Right? So and then so and we'll pick it up in Luke 10:17. After the 70 went out, they come back and look what it says. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, "Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name." And he said unto them, "I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy." and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the spirits are made subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So listen, the disciples are juiced. Can you imagine going out and casting devils out of people and healing people like right in front of your face? You're watching people that can't walk stand up. And so they come back juiced. And you could understand why they'd be exuberant. They, they, they have power over all the devils through Jesus' name. And Jesus' response is very interesting because he kind of rebukes them. And he rebukes them in a very powerful way. He actually describes what's going on in them in comparison to what went on in Satan when Satan fell. And he says to his disciples, yes, there's power in me to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But don't esteem authority. That's what power is. Don't esteem authority. Don't see your health and well-being in the miracles you can see manifest. Rather, esteem that your names are written in the book of life. That's what it means for your names to be written in heaven. That's what you should be rejoicing about. You should be coming back rejoicing about a life that's whole, a life that's perfect, a life that even lords it over sin and death in the flesh. You ought to be coming back rejoicing about the life the Father has in himself and how the Father has thought so much of you that he has given that life to you, that you could even have that life in yourself. The thing we're rejoicing about is this incorruptible life. We're not rejoicing about our authority. We're not rejoicing about the miracles we can perform. If you think you do these things on account of your authority or if you think the power of these things is your authority, your heart will be lifted up in itself just as Satan looked on the beauty of his branches and the multitude of the merchandise he could gather to himself and he started rejoicing in that instead of the river of life. If you're wondering where that's at, you can find it in Ezekiel chapter 28 where it says he received his beauty From the river of life. But he didn't rejoice in the river of life. Rather he started rejoicing. In the beauty of his branches. And what he could gather to himself. This messes people up guys. But when Jesus healed people. He wasn't rejoicing in the miracles. And I'm not saying he he didn't feel happy. What I'm saying is. He didn't think if he could heal a blind guy. Or cleanse a leper. Then those signs could give the people life. He didn't do those things thinking he was serving people with life through those things. What was in his mind is he was rejoicing in the life the Father has in himself because he saw the life that is whole, the life that is perfect, and he healed people to demonstrate the guns of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, and the strength that's in the Father's life to even lord it over sin and death in the flesh. And the reason why... He did those things so that people would believe on him for a life that is whole so that they would never hunger for life again. The power to see miracles of healing. I'm just going to trash so many doctrines. This is why I don't have any friends. I trash these doctrines because I'm your friend. And they're destroying your life. What I've found is people don't like it when you come poking on their traditions. Right? I didn't like it when God told me to throw everything I knew knew in the garbage can because it was worthless. I had already gone to Bible college. I thought I knew something. I went to a great Bible college. What do you mean it's worthless? The power to see miracles of healing isn't found in your authority. Healing doesn't come by you taking your authority. I know we all know this, but I'm just going to remind us. It's in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of your authority. It doesn't come by you taking your authority. It comes by the name of Jesus. The disciples taking their authority didn't work real well when they came across the guy whose son was demonized, did it? Why couldn't we cast it out, Lord? Well, because you've been rejoicing in your authority and not in the life that's in the Father. The apostles, you know, the scriptures doesn't say that the apostles were witnesses of their authority. It doesn't say that. Do you know what it says that they were witnesses of? The resurrection. They didn't esteem their authority. They esteemed the life that reigns and lords it over death in the flesh. That's what they esteemed, right? Right? You guys following that? You see the difference? I know it's subtle, but again, I'm remind everybody. I said it last week. It says that the devil was the most subtle of all the beasts in the field. The reason it's deceiving is because it isn't obvious. There's a nuance there that can very easily be twisted to something evil. Right? In Matthew 16, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees. And He says that their doctrine is that they're always seeking after a sign. And he says it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And he says one sign shall be given, the sign of Jonah in the belly of the whale. Now listen, he wasn't talking about Jonah in the the belly of the whale. He was looking at Jonah to talk about himself going into the grave for three days. And he was talking about how the grave wasn't going to be able to hold him because in him is a life that can't be held by death. That's the sign that's going to be given to you. You want to see the proof that I actually am come from heaven? You want to see the proof that in me is the Father's life? You want to see the proof that in me is a life that's whole, that's perfect, that can't be stolen from, that can't be added to, that is so much that it fills all things? I'm going to go into the grave just as Jonah went into the belly of the whale. But the whale's belly, the grave won't be able to hold me because of the perfect life I have in myself. And I'm coming out. Esteem that life. Not your authority and the signs and wonders and miracles you think you can perform. Satan will tempt you to rejoice in the miracles of healing. And you'll fall for it. You know why? Because nobody thinks healing is evil. And nobody seeing the healing is like, oh, that's evil. So he tempts you with things you think are good. It says the tree of the knowledge of evil look good for food. Tempt you to look at the miracles of healing for life. Jesus, Satan tempted Jesus to look to his ability to perform a miracle to have life when he told Jesus, Turn these stones into bread. He came and pointed at something that was good and he tried to get him to turn what was good into the power to have life. The moment you take something that's good, that isn't the life itself, and try and turn it into the power to have life, it becomes evil. That just means not able to give you life, but will serve you with destruction. If Jesus would have turned those stones into bread, you know what? He would have heaped destruction on himself. Because he would have looked to something, he would have looked to the meat that perishes, instead of the meat that doesn't perish. Which is what Jesus said, man does not find life by bread alone, but by every word that God speaks. What word does God speak? I have life in myself. And I have given that you would have this same life in yourself. Right? Satan changed his first estate. It says in Jude that the fallen angels changed their first estate. Satan changed his first estate. He went from a covering cherub. Ezekiel says he was anointed or ordained to be a covering cherub. He went from a covering cherub to an uncovering cherub. He started to uncover people's nakedness. It was Satan's system that uncovered Adam's nakedness. That's why God said, Who told you you were naked? It wasn't me. And so the the way Satan changed his first estate is he corrupted his wisdom and he started pointing to himself instead of the river of life that clothed him in beauty. Right? The same thing can happen with healing and signs and wonders and miracles if they start pointing to themselves. As if they are the river that gives life instead of pointing to the incorruptible life that's in Jesus. You see that? If they do like Satan and they start pointing to themselves. If miracles start pointing to themselves as the power to have life. They've become corrupted. You can very easily and we'll finish with this you can very easily find yourself in the place, if you don't have the miracles built on a proper foundation, you can very easily find yourself in the place where healing and signs and wonders and miracles are becoming idol. And I think that's where a large section of the body of Christ is in. Where you're actually worshipping healing. You're actually worshipping signs and wonders and miracles. Thinking the power to have life is found in getting a healing. Right? Like I said, it, the good things are the easiest things to get twisted. It's the easiest things to be set up in our sight as idols. Even things like peace and love and joy. How many of you think peace and love and joy are bad? Do you know the whole world agrees that peace and love and joy are good? Do you know the whole world is seeking peace and love and joy? It's just, if you don't see that peace and love and joy is found in Jesus, you'll start trying to find it everywhere else. And so peace and love and joy doesn't testify of itself. Peace doesn't stand up and say, life is found in feeling peace. Peace is supposed to testify of the life that can produce peace. So that you don't seek the peace, but you seek the life that can produce the peace. Because if you spend all your days seeking the peace, if you spend all your days seeking the joy, seeking the love, you can find yourself judging your life after the flesh. And you can find yourself walking after the flesh, trying to satisfy your desire for peace. And you'll start judging whether you have life or not by whether you feel peace or not. And every time you don't feel peace, do you know what you'll say to yourself? I don't have life. And now you're worshiping peace and love and joy instead of worshiping God, seeing that he has a life in himself that produces peace and love and joy. You see the nuance there? Peace and love and joy don't testify of themselves. They aren't saying that life is found in whether you feel peace or not. If you think life is found in whether you feel peace or not, you know what? You're going to struggle to rest when you don't feel peace. And do you know what you're going to do? You're going to start doing things to try to get peace. But if you know that life isn't found in whether you feel peace or not, in the day you feel tormented, you'll labor for the meat that doesn't perish instead of the meat that perishes. You'll labor for the life that's in God. And you'll start looking to God for the life he has in himself. But you know what that life will start telling you? You are whole. You are perfect. Your life has overcome the world. Your life has overcome sin and death. You have the Father's life. Your life has been cleansed inside of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This torment that's coming to you, this corruption that's bothering you, this sickness that's come to your house, that can't defile your life. And you know what you'll find happening? Peace. You see how that works? So it's not that we won't have peace or we can't have peace. It's that we seek that which has the power to produce the peace. We don't seek the feeling of peace. Big difference. Right? Seymour, I thought for sure that this message would make you cry. That doesn't mean you don't come to Jesus if you, don't fee- if you-, if you have a weakness or a sickness. What we're talking about is how you do come to Jesus and we're describing what coming to Jesus looks like. You see? So you do come to Jesus if you have a sickness or a weakness, but it means you come to him believing the report, right? You come believing the report. What is the report? Death has been bound and life has been loosed. In the body of Jesus. Satan's house has been plundered. The strong man is bound. The gates of hell were kicked open. By the life that raised Jesus from the dead. We're talking about the report. It wasn't possible for death to hold the life he has in himself. And now what Jesus has opened. No man shuts again. The indestructible life he has in himself has been loosed on you. It's been loosed in you. Death has been bound inside of you. The life of God inside of you has bound the death. It has bound the strong man. It has kicked the strong man out. It has loosed the indestructible life of God inside of you. The life in Jesus that's from God Almighty himself is dwelling inside of you. It is reigning in you right now. You're not trying to get a healing to believe that it's raining. You're trying to connect with the fact that this life rains already. The power of death has no hold on you. The power of sickness has no hold on you. That's what the gospel, that's what the resurrection declares. God has brought forth your life On his shoulders, he bears you up like wings as eagles. That's what it's talking about. He has brought forth your life on the shoulders of his indestructible life. By the power of his life, you are whole. By the power of the life we see in Jesus, you are perfected from this perverse generation, from the corruption in this generation. You are perfected once for all time. In the name of Jesus let the voice of sickness be far removed from you in the name of Jesus let the weakness that this world is trying to bring upon your body let it be far removed from you in the name of Jesus be strengthened by the life he has in himself the life that's dwelling in you right now the life that you have inside of you right now that even lords it over sin and death the healing you think you need the healing that you want is found inside of the life that you already have that life is already made you whole it says that your faith becomes effective as you acknowledge every good thing that's inside of you what's inside of you is a life that is whole what's inside of you is a life that is perfect what's inside of you is a life that lords it over sin and death it can't be stolen from it can't die and this faith that comes from above will be made active inside of you as you begin to acknowledge what you already have instead of looking at the weakness in your flesh and letting the weakness you see in your flesh tell you what you don't have And all the people said, glory to God. Thank you guys for watching online. Y'all have a good day.